Hi friends, I'm Mandy. And I'm Missy. And we're the Wayward Homesteaders. In this podcast, we will talk about homesteading and homeschooling. We will cover topics like food preservation, gardening, unschooling, and all the things we enjoy doing with our families. Grow with us as we talk about creating a homestead full of poop, plants, permaculture, and everything in between. Hi friends, I'm Mandy. And I'm Missy. And we're the Wayward Homesteaders. Today we're going to be starting a five-part mini-series about food preservation. So our first one is going to be about dehydrating. And then next week we will talk about freeze-drying because I feel like a lot of times people are confused about the difference between dehydrating and freeze-drying and what is one better than the other and all that. So we will talk about that next week. Week three we'll talk about freezing. And then we'll talk about water bath canning. And then finally, the scariest one, pressure canning. So um, today we're going to talk about dehydrating and we'll touch on drying too. Just if you don't have a dehydrator or you'd like to do some air drying type stuff. So we will talk about all that. Um, So Missy is going to start. She probably has a little bit more experience with dehydrating than me. She has like the bougie Excalibur um, dehydrator. I have a Kosori dehydrator, which I love, but. Missy's is like four or five hundred dollars. Mine's like one fifty. So they both work great. Um, Missy's definitely has a little bit more capacity than mine. We can link these in the show notes too, as far as you know, looking at those and figuring out which one you know might work for you. So go ahead, Miss. Okay. Hi everybody. So I'm going to first touch on the reason as to why we want to preserve our foods and the process of that. So the process of preserving our foods, it's a practice that helps to prevent the growth of microorganisms and slow the oxidation of fats that cause food to go rancid. Also, by preserving food, we reduced food waste, increased the efficiency of food systems, and reduced the environmental impact of food production. So like Mandy said, today we're going to start talking about dehydrating. And dehydrating is a simple process of low heat and continuous airflow to remove water from our food. Right now, there's one, two, I think three ways that you could dehydrate. You can dehydrate in your oven, you can use the sun on drying trays or screens, and you can also use an electric food dehydrator. Um, By removing the water from our food, we severely hinder the growth of microorganisms such as bacteria, yeasts, mold, um, and that's all I can think of right now, but, And it's interesting, too, because while dehydrating, the sugars, calories, proteins, fiber, carbohydrates, they all remain in dehydrated food. So, too, will essential fatty acids, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, and most vitamins. I think that's a really good point, not to interrupt. I think that's Uh a really good point, as I think a lot of people talk about dehydrating and they're like oh well it deteriorates this and that and whatever but you know if it really came down to like shit hitting the fan for instance you know it would give you the calories that you need to sustain you would some of the vitamins and minerals maybe be compromised probably but if you need food I mean it's still going to have the same caloric content as it did before you dehydrated it right yes compared to its fresh counterparts weight for weight dehydrated foods pack more calories than it does fresh which is interesting right 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 because you think everybody's like oh if you get a bag of i don't know dried apricots for instance you know you need to be mindful of you know you don't just sit there and eat like a whole cup of dehydrated apricots because i mean that's a lot of calories 
But in a, in a severe situation or like when you're hiking, you know, these are popular for hiking or backpackers or whatever. They need that high calorie because they're outputting so much. Right. Exactly. And in times of space saving and uncertainty, dehydrated food will give you more calories than fresh food and, and less space is needed for dehydrated food at less weight, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. So the three things that you really want to look for when you're deciding how you would like to dehydrate um, is, you know, if you're going to be buying an electric dehydrator, you want one that can control the temperature. Some foods dry quicker than others. And as you build your notebook of dehydrated food recipes, you'll see there's a big difference between, say, bananas and strawberries. Sometimes it doesn't pay to put them on the same batch, but this depends on your own preference of crunchiness. You would also, it's kind of a good thing to have a timer or just keep track of your time. Um, like, like temperature, a timer is essential because some of the things take less time. I usually dry my apples, say, 10 hours for maximum crunchiness, but I want the same crunchiness in my bananas and I have to dry them for a little longer. So it all just depends. And taking notes and keeping, I'm a big note taker. And mm-hmm. I have all the spreadsheets and keep the notes and the times and the temperatures and how long and all of that. So that's just another thing um, to think about. And then um, drying trays. So normally your electric um, dehydrator will come with trays and sometimes they'll come with like the mesh tray that lays on top where you can like lay your fruit on. Sometimes they don't. So you want to make sure that you have that. Also, if you're thinking of doing fruit leather, they have these, um, I know Ball makes them. I don't know. I'm sure there's some on Amazon cheaper, but they have like fruit leather trays. So it has like a little lip on the edge that you can yeah, spread your, those. yeah. And then like, it helps because you can shake it and it kind of evens it out. So you're not going to have patches of like still really wet food, you know, and then crispy food. So that kind of helps. So that stuff to keep in mind talk about your your excalibur dehydrator because i know like we had this conversation gosh, probably like three years ago um and i looked into the one that you got now you bought yours several years ago and it was much cheaper than it is now yes. um and i wound up going with like i said the kosori one that i got from amazon but talk about your excalibur like how it works and what you like or don't like about it okay so um i have the excalibur it's a nine tray Um, sometimes I feel like it's maybe too much because I don't do as many dehydrated foods. Um, my kids really love fruit leather. So to make a big batch of fruit leather takes a lot of fruit. So honestly, I don't know that I ever really use more than five trays at a time, unless I'm doing herbs or carrot tops or something like that. Um, because obviously they take up more space. But when I'm doing fruit leather, you know, it's a lot of fruit to do one little tray. So I only do like three or four trays of it. So I have the little sheets or whatever that you can put the little trays. You can put your spread your it's like applesauce, spread your applesauce on, shake it, make it level and then stick it in. And then mine has like a door that hangs on the front. And then on the top, it has a temperature gauge. So I, you know, either look in my notes or I look in the recipe that I'm, you know, using and use the temperature up there but then mine does not have a timer on it so I usually just think in my head okay it's this time now in eight hours it'll be this you know or if I let it run overnight my biggest thing is sometimes I put it in before bed I let it run overnight and then I get up in the morning and it's done and I'm like hallelujah you know I don't have Hmm. to have this thing running all day well and I think too like when you guys lived in Washington borough and you were feeding five kids like a lot of the time the nine trays was great so I feel like too you know mine only has 
six trays and they're smaller than yours. I'm pretty sure. And for like our family of five, it works. It's fine. But I think, you know, when you were feeding seven people on the regular, it was probably perfect. Now you're typically only feeding four to five, depending on who's home. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you just kind of have to figure in those. I think the Excalibur, hmm, I think they do have different tray options. I'd have to look again. I haven't looked in so long. Um, But yeah, so I really like mine. I don't feel like it's loud. Um, I mean, I know it's running and it, but it doesn't like, we don't have to turn the TV up if we're watching TV or, you know, my house is loud to begin with, so it doesn't really bother me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, And like I said, ours is, is gosh, it's man. I feel like it's about half the size of yours. Yours is so big. It, Um, It is big. It is. It's big. And ours has, so something I don't like about Missy's is the door like lifts up and comes off. Yeah. Um, that's something I don't love. Um, and I don't always feel like it's super easy. Like, you know, the black material, like sometimes I feel like it's hard to clean. Yeah. It gets dusty. And then to wipe that it's, yeah, it's, it's like wiping the top of your fridge. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same weird, like weirdness of the top of your fridge. So that's something (laughs) I don't like about that one. The Kosori that we got, I mean, it just has like a, acrylic door i think yeah um and then you know the door just it has like a hinge so it just opens really nicely so i do love that part definitely is smaller so like like missy said when we're doing something like radish greens or carrot tops or herbs or something i mean i'm definitely much more limited when it comes to that kind of stuff um we do a lot of jerky dehydrate our own jerky bison or venison or whatever um and so i that's probably what we use it for the most i've tried fruit leather missy's like the queen of fruit leather i (laughs) suck at it i've tried it about 50 times and i always get this crispy nasty it's not even i don't even know what it is it's it's like fruit concrete so um but we love it for for meat and the thing i love about jerky is you literally cannot mess it up like right. you put it in there and you could get chewy jerky. You could do middle of the road jerky. You could do like shoe leather jerky. Like they sell at Love's Truck Stop. You know, you can <laughs> get like any of any of those things. And the thing I love about marinades for doing jerky is, again, you really cannot mess it up. You can literally just throw in whatever little random brines and messes you have in your fridge and you're always going to get delicious jerky. So that's probably my favorite thing. I don't love dehydrating fruits particularly like even like you said like banana chips and stuff but now that we have a freeze dryer I'm a little bit spoiled because we love freeze-dried fruit much more than dehydrated yeah definitely my kids love all freeze-dried fruit it's crazy they won't eat fresh fruit but they'll eat it (laughs) freeze-dried so funny yeah okay so going back um we talked about the different things that you would want to look for on your model Um, i'm not sure that there's much difference between models other than size and style but you do want to you know look for the temperature because you want to try to keep remain keep the temperature remained at the same the whole way through the process um and mine does have a timer and temp so i guess that i I forgot that yours didn't have a timer no it doesn't yeah that's kind of annoying yeah um okay so temperatures for dehydrating foods um it took me ages to figure out the right temperatures for dehydrating foods every time i tried 
I made a note with what fruit or vegetable I was dehydrating, the temperature I dried it at, and for how long, how long it dried. <clears throat> it took a while, but I got pretty a good grip on it. And now I'll share some of our times um, that I have noted. We're going to put it in the show notes. So you can go in and download that. If you have questions about it, please reach out, email one of us, and we can walk you through it or try to explain it a little better. Um, and it's just it's just popular foods that we have done. It's not like you know, a recipe or a book or anything. Um, and you can completely add to it when you do. You could use that sheet, keep that near your dehydrator. Um, and Mandy touched a little bit on dehydrating meat. You definitely can dehydrate meat. Um, I know a lot of times like the USDA and all of them suggest that you do that. Um, I think that they, Mandy, you might know this better. They actually require or tell you to cook your meat before you dehydrate it um really yeah so like when i was reading up on it um yeah like there's like different temperatures with like with fruits and veggies you simply wash them slice them pre-treat if you want to put them in the dehydrator but with meat they were saying you have to cook the meat to a safe temperature first to kill off the harmful bacteria and then dehydrate it to a certain temperature. Hmm, a certain maybe time. I've been playing Russian roulette with my jerky. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think we <laughs> kind of go through life doing that, but <laughs> right. that's what the USDA is telling me. Wow. I, um, I mean, not to sound dumb, but I had no idea. I honestly, we've just always laid it. Like yep. we marinate it. We throw it in the fridge overnight in a bowl and then we just lay it on the trays. And I mean, it's cooked when it comes out. Right. And like we, I, mean, I didn't know this before we did some research on, you know, this podcast and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we made jerky out of ground beef and put ground sure beef <laughs> in the dehydrator. I'm like, oh, I guess we are lucky to be alive. Right. That Woo! is something interesting, too, I, that uh, we didn't talk about prior to this is the jerky gun situation. Yes. Because um, I know, unfortunately, you know, unless you're raising your own meat or something, cuts of meat to make jerky are so can be so expensive. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, I fully realize that ground meat is probably the cheapest option. Um, do you want to talk about the jerky gun? I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago <laughs> and we always chuckle about the jerky gun. Yeah. So the jerk, jerky gun is kind of gross. So like I only have the experience of doing the ground beef because that's all we ever made jerky out of. And um stuffing the ground beef in this tube and then <laughs> clipping on the pushy thing the plunger in the back and then squeezing it out these little tiny discs um it's kind of nauseating but it also was hard to get like consistent sizes of like pieces of meat so there were times when like i would run the process and I'm like, oh, this little one's done, but oh, yuck, this big one is not done, so I'd have to run that more. I did not find it to be any help, um, and I, I, we did it like twice, and I used it both times, and I think that's why I haven't done it anymore, because I'm like, the jerky gun is stupid, and what am I going to do, like make jerky balls, like roll it in a ball and stick it on the tray? So I just haven't really done and then cleaning it is gross too because you have to like take all the parts of, apart make sure you got all the nasty meat out of it and yeah not for me mm, yeah Ugh. well yeah. nonetheless we'll link um the jerky gun in the show notes if that's <laughs> something that you're interested in um i'll also you had said about 
the PDF or whatever, there's two books that I have. One is recalculating for um, rehydration, which will be um, really helpful when we talk about freeze drying also. So I'll link that book in the show notes. And then I'll also link um, a couple of my favorite like jerky and dehydrating books. Um, I feel like, okay, so some people, this is a little bit of a, a funny trail, but some people are, you know, why do I need a book? I can just print it off the internet. And I hear that. Um, but if you didn't have access to the internet, for instance, um, you know, sometimes when you're teaching your kids, it's a lot easier to teach them from a book than it is, you know, on your, the screen of your phone or whatever. So nonetheless, I'm a huge, and I know Missy is too. We are huge advocates of having books about all the things. Yes. Yes. Okay. And if anyone's interested, I do have a printout that I printed from the USDA of like the times and temperatures that your meat should be cooked prior and then what how to do it in the dehydrator if anybody wants that um you can email me homesteadingroots at gmail.com and i can just send that over to you it's not a big deal um yeah, yeah and i'll put our emails in the show notes too in case anybody yeah. has questions specific questions sure okay so another thing to touch on is conditioning your dehydrated foods so conditioning is a term I hadn't heard in context of food dehydrating until one of my first batches of dried fruit went moldy. In searching for the reason why, I came across conditioning. So conditioning is a very simple process you can do to your dehydrated foods, fruits usually, but you can also do it for vegetables and meats, um, to ensure that no moisture gets trapped in your storage containers or jars before you pack them for long haul. You need to do it because sometimes, even though you have dehydrated food, sometimes when you have dehydrated food properly, some moisture will still remain. And there's no way for you to really see the moisture. Even if you touch it, sometimes you're going to say, oh, this feels crunchy. This is done. You know, when really there's still some moisture in there. It usually happens due to uneven spread. Like I was saying with the jerky gun, you know, when I was spreading it, some pieces were long, some pieces were bigger, some pieces were thicker. It was just annoying. Um, so there's, I have six steps to condition your dehydrated foods. Um, first, you're going to want to remove your food from the dryer racks as normal and leave to cool at room temperature. Once cooled, place the clear airtight storage, place in clear airtight storage jars, making sure you fill up no more than two thirds of the glass. So let your food sit for about a week. Make sure you shake the jar every now and then, and then look for signs of condensation or mold. Um, if you see any condensation, put the food back in the dehydrator for a few hours. That should help take care of that. Um, if you see mold, though, throw it out. Like it's so defeating. Worth, yes. It's not worth saving, not worth keeping, any of that. Just throw it out. Consider Can't it a loss. It. Right. <laughs> Move on. Um, but if you see neither, after a week of shaking each day, your batch is probably good to be stored away for you know, like, I a lot of times do fruits, but my kids eat them within a week. So, right. you know, it's I don't, I don't have much long-term dehydrated food storage just because yeah, we definitely have way more freeze-dry food in our long-term than yeah. we do dehydrated. And I guess I always, as defeating as it is when that happens, I always just take comfort in the fact that if I put it in the compost, then I can grow plants from it. Right. So I guess I only half lost. Right. Or feed it to the chickens, you know. Yeah, unless there's mold. If there's mold, don't feed oh, the yeah, chickens. Yeah. But if yeah. there is mold, just throw it in the compost. It'll be fine. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, and then there's another option where you can pre-treat some of your foods. Um, pre-treating food 
can help further increase the shelf life. For instance, there's a honey dip you can do. It can also help improve the appearance of your food. Like after drying, I know some people get concerned because like my bananas have browned now that they're dry. You know, this helps to hinder that. Um, so why would you pre-treat your food? As the presence of water in the food, fruit or vegetable gives it its shape and structure, removing that moisture can make it look shriveled and kind of gross. Some fruits you can pre-treat before being put into the dehydrator. This can improve their taste, enhance their appearance, increase the shelf life, help them last longer, and give your end dish a phenomenal taste. The basic methods of pre-treatment, um, there you could do absorbic acid, lemon juice, there's a honey dip, um, there's a, you can do a cinnamon sugar. Some people blanch their vegetables prior to dehydrating to help you know keep the color and jessica from three rivers homestead actually i just listened to a podcast about this with her and joe winger and she was saying about blanching your vegetables to um because it stops the enzymes and then you get more nutrition from them which i actually didn't know that because a goal of mine this year was going to be to take you know we always freeze corn and one of my goals was going to be to dehydrate corn and then just keep it in jars that i could just dump it in soups on the wood stove or whatever this winter um, cause I think she does like a lot of corn and beans and things like that. And then she can just dump it in, which I love that. Like you literally have like soup mix, like ready to go on the shelf. Um, yes. especially if I have some, you know, freeze dried meat or whatever, all ready to go, mm-hmm. I can just throw it in there. Um, so anyway, she was talking about, yeah, blanching the vegetables and then adding some kind of like vitamin C, um, to a lot of the fruit will help preserve. a lot of the nutrients because I tend to lean towards freeze drying and we'll talk about this more in the next episode, but I tend to lean more towards freeze drying for the simple fact that, you know, it truly does keep like 99% of the nutrition. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in the show notes, um, we'll also have these different ways you can pre-treat and the methods and, you know, where you can find most of the stuff. Um, I'm just trying to think what, okay. Um, I guess knowing the correct way to pre-treat your food, it won't only enhance the flavor of your food long-term, but it also increases the shelf life. And it does sometimes improve um, the length of time of dehydrating. Um, Like it's shelf life. Yes, it's shelf life. It it helps, you know, elongate that. Right. Um, well, and I feel like too, again, not to always be like, oh, the world's coming to an end. But you know, if you have this stuff sitting on your shelf and it looks appetizing, right. you're going to be much more apt to use it than if you're like, ugh, we ate through everything and all we have left is these shriveled up brown bananas. <laughs> like that sounds so depressing. Right. Exactly. Um, and then I'll touch a little bit here on how to store your um, dehydrated fruit food for long term. Um, The most important factors in storing your food is that you want to have your jars kept below, what is it, 120, I think they said, which nobody's house really is that. I mean, I guess if you put it in your garage. Right, the attic. Yeah, the attic. So, I mean, to store it on your pantry shelves is going to be completely fine. Um, You don't want any oxygen to get in the jars or the containers. You can throw it in an oxygen absorber. 
We could what? link the chart too for there's a really handy chart about oxygen absorbers and like yes. you need this many for a quart, this many for half gallon, yes. etc. Yep. Um, and light. So you want to try to keep most sunlight. Now flipping on your pantry light, you know, every now and then it's not going to damage it in a short matter of time, but you don't want direct sunlight on your jars. Um, all of these problems can spoil your food more quickly. Um, fortunately, these problems are easy to solve by storing your dehydrated food. So that shouldn't really, storage isn't really a reason to not want to dehydrate or save. Um, I use mason jars when possible. Um, sometimes some people vacuum seal their jars with the little attachment they have on their food saver. Um, you can also do the Mylar bags with oxygen absorbers. But like I said, I dehydrated food does not last long in my house. If I make fruit leather, I swear to you, it's gone that day or the next day. Um, fruits, the same vegetables. I don't really, I don't really dehydrate vegetables. Um, so I haven't either. I really want to do the soups thing though. Like make yeah. my own little soup mixes and just have them like, like how cool, like on a freezing oh, no. winter day, just like pour all that stuff, like come down here, get some of my bone broth, pour in all my dehydrated vegetables, put in yep. some meat and just let it sit there and go. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I follow it's, what is it? Rose red. I always get confused because you know, back <laughs> yeah. home it's red rose. Um, right. Road res. Oh my gosh. Rose red homesteading on YouTube. She does a lot of dehydrating and she does like the dehydrated meals in jars. And then she'll like show, you know, during her video or whatever. I'm like, that is so pretty. And it's like all the ingredients in there dehydrated. So then she just adds her broth puts it in a pot and goes to town. And I'm like, mm, well, and the other thing I'm going to be like the doomsday person on this podcast. The other <laughs> thing too, is like, if you have a jar of quote soup mix that you've made yourself and then you have your pressure canned jar of broth on the shelf, you know, if we were in an extreme situation and you were trying to preserve your water as much as possible and mm -hmm. you had all that broth put up, you really wouldn't need the water. Like you could literally get your right. pot, your heat source, pour in your soup mix, pour in your broth, stir it up, let it all rehydrate and boom, like you have delicious, nutritious soup. Right. Yeah. And she talks a lot about when, you know, crap hits the fan, like you're going to want to be able to focus on like short cooking times, like have mm -hmm. things prepared so that, you know, you're not going to have to boil, let's, or cook your meat and then, you know, boil your vegetables and then add them to, you know, your boiled broth. You're just going to dump everything in and we'll talk about all the different ways of doing that. And I don't know, these, this meal in a jar thing, like triggers me. I just, I need to do more about it and learn more <laughs> about it and, and get on this bandwagon. <laughs> Gives you anxiety. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> Um, that's so funny. Yeah, I am really excited to do these like meal in a jar because I definitely don't feel like I am using my dehydrator. Here's my thing. My dehydrator is for jerky. And yeah. when my freeze dryer is full, then I like default to my dehydrator. Yeah. My, and mine is for fruit leather. Like I've, I have a nine tray dehydrator for fruit leather. Yep. Right. So, gigantic. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I... I really want to use it more. And like, I guess, I, I guess it's just the whole nutrition thing. Like I, I'm so hooked on the freeze dryer because I know I'm not losing nutrition. Right. Right. So, um, 
Yeah, so that I guess that about covers as far as storage goes. Oh, I was going to say, storing in mason jars, too, is great because it's critter-proof. Right. So, you know, we had on, on Facebook, in our uh, Wayward Homesteaders group on Facebook, we had asked people, you know, like, what questions do you have about uh, preserving food? And one big thing that kept coming up was, I don't know where to store things. Like, I just don't have enough space. And I totally hear that. And so when I was a kid, my mom used to follow this lady. I say follow like we had Facebook or something. (laughs) She used to like she had her books and like, I don't know if she was like, I don't think she was on TV or anything, but her name was Amy Decision. And she was all about I think she had six kids and she was all about like not making excuses for why you can't store food. And, you know, this was long before. I mean, okay, there's always it's always relative, like there's always sketchy things in everybody's lifetimes or whatever. But it wasn't like it is now. Okay, so, you know, she was all about like watch the sale ads. And so if peanut butter is a dollar a jar this week, get 10 instead of waiting until next week to buy it again when it's three dollars or whatever so anyway she would talk about storing food like under your bed and in a closet or you know if you have a quote linen closet and it's all cluttered up with you know 50 towels and you use three of them and all this like old hotel shampoo bottles that you never even touch like move that crap out of the way and store your food there so I know that food storage is like not just the act of storing the food, but like people just feel like, okay, if I don't have a dedicated shelf in my basement to like line up my jars and make it look all pretty, then I can't store food, which, okay. Yes. I love having some shelves and I can stand there and look at it and be all proud of my work. And that's lovely. But when it really comes down to it, you're just trying to put food away for your family, save some money, get good nutrition stored away, and just have some peace of mind that you're prepared. Right. So, you know, if you need to store things in, or if you're going to store things in Mylar bags, like get some under the bed storage totes and stuff them in there and slide it under everybody's beds or take an extra closet, a half a linen closet or whatever. And like Missy said, as long as the conditions, you know, like we try to keep most of our stuff stored, I'd say around 70. Then that's just generally because that's what our basement stays at. And in the winter down to gosh, probably in the fifties, you know, so as long as it's like dry and sealed and critter proof, you know, it's a good place to store food in my opinion. Yeah, and if you're anything like me, I really like the mason jars, and I know, like, the shortage doesn't help this fact, Um, but I'm very visual, so, like, if I see it sitting on my shelf, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I have that, I'm going to use that. If I, like, I have a lot of my, like, flowers and stuff in the five-gallon buckets with the gamma lids, half the time, I don't even acknowledge them, like, they're on my bottom shelves, I can't see in the bucket, and I forget about them. Like, I've had nutritional yeast for almost a year now sitting in a bucket, in my pantry do you think I've touched it once no because it's not (laughs) it's not in my face and it's not like it's not visual to me it's not pleasing Um, another interesting thing is uh Jessica at Three Rivers Homestead she stores her a lot of her canned jars like on the top of her cabinet so instead of like having knickknacks and whatever decorations up there she has like a lot of her jars stored up there and I mean it looks cool so it technically can be decoration and can be food storage yeah Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as long as like Missy said, it's out of direct sunlight and like the stuff in her um, 
from what it's it sounds like on YouTube, the stuff that's in her kitchen on those shelves, she's like rotating through like yeah. quickly. It's not like it sits up there for five years and she's like, oh yeah, I got some corn. Right. You know? So yeah, I, I definitely just always encourage people to find storage where you can. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to anything. And if out of sight, out of mind is going to be a problem, then make a list and pin it to the fridge or, right. you know, notes in your phone or however you operate. Um, just so that you don't forget because rotating your food, um, that'd be a great podcast. Rotating your food yeah. is another, you know, it's, it's just important. Like don't do all that work and then let it sit there for 10 years and forget about it. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that was probably mostly what we were going to talk about, about dehydrating. We did have some people ask us about just drying food. <laughs> um, so I personally don't dry food food that we're going to eat. Um, I do dry things like, um, comfrey and, um, lemon balm, lavender, some basil. I do dry things that I'm not going to actually ingest just out in my house because, you know, if I'm going to use it to, I don't know, make some kind of medicine or if I'm going to use it in soap or things like that, um, I don't really care if it has like a couple specks of dust on it. You know, I don't really want dust in my basil on top of my spaghetti, but <laughs> if it's like, you know, whatever, I can like shake it off and then use it for soap or medicine or whatever. So the way I dry herbs, I actually, um, this sounds so silly now because it's so simple, but like learned from MI Gardner actually on YouTube, he was the person that I sort of started following about this. And I just tie, you know, I just use simple butcher twine. I just get, gather up a bunch, tie them up. And then Zad has about 50 little rig. We live in a one room, basically house. So we have like huge, tall ceilings. Um, and so I just have all these little things hanging from the ceiling and I just, you know, if you walk in my house, you're just, they're just herbs hanging all over your head and mint and whatever, <laughs> you know, you got to watch your head cause you're going to bop into the mint. Um, but yeah, I just have all that stuff hanging around. I mean, the most important thing with air drying the herbs, in my opinion, is that you just don't make the bunches too fat because mm -hmm. it's just like the dehydrated food. If you get the moisture caught up in there, you know, when it comes in from the garden, or whatever it's naturally just gonna have some moisture you just want to make sure that that stays dry because otherwise it'll you know create mold and whatever so um yeah I just leave it hang now my husband would make fun of me and say that I just leave it hang there indefinitely and don't use it which is absolutely not true I like having them hang because I think it's nice decoration but I also have it there if I need it um so I would definitely encourage you, like, if you're trying to grow, like, when Missy moved to Florida, she had handed me off some of her beloved herbs um, that weren't killed in the house washing project. <laughs> um, her old landlord sprayed their house with all these chemicals and killed a bunch of her herbs, and it was a really sad day. But the ones yeah. that were saved um, are now here growing and just doing amazing. And, um, yeah, I just go out a few times, you know, a few times a summer and do, like, a cutting of comfrey, a cutting of lavender, a cutting of lemon lemon balm or lemongrass whatever we're growing um i just hang them up and then you know if if i'm going to make soap or bud wants to experiment with making like a a salve or we want to infuse some oil to make some you know make some soap or do whatever um it's perfect for that kind of stuff but on that same note like missy said you can sun dry this stuff too 
I personally don't because I don't know. I guess if I had some kind of, I could do it in the greenhouse maybe. Um, but I just don't want a bunch of flies and crap and bugs and like I don't want to mm-hmm. deal with all of that. So my um, issue is I forget about it. Well, like, that too. <laughs> you would be surprised how quick things dry in the sun, especially here in Florida. I mean, oh yeah, good grief! I swear the sun is just like right down over the hill because right. the way like you burn and all that stuff, and it is takes no time for stuff to dry in the sun. And then I forget it, and then it does get burnt, and then I'm like sad because that was wasted stuff and time. Right, right. Like I would love like doing sun dried tomatoes. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the optimal experience. But in my mind, I know I'm just going to sit the tomatoes out there and then there's going to be a bunch of flies on them. Yeah. So, like, that that's gross. I, I'm not <laughs> that's gross. That. Right. So, yeah, those, uh, just drying the herbs in general, and, and even if you're not going to do, like, medicines or things like that, if you're interested in doing teas, I mean, you could certainly, my house just seems to collect extra dust because, you know, we are five people going in and out. Zad is blacksmithing and, you know, we're coming in from the chicken coop and all this other crap. And so, you know, but maybe everyone's house is not like that. So if you feel like you have like a nice kind of, I don't want to say sterile, but like a, a cleaner place that you could hang herbs to dry, like basil or something that you put on your food, um, go for it. You know, you definitely don't need fancy equipment to dry food right so yeah i think that probably hits all of our notes miss what do you think yeah i think i think so if anyone has questions don't be afraid to reach out yeah we're going to so next week we'll be talking about freeze drying which i know is everyone's always curious about freeze drying the first comment always about freeze dryers is oh my gosh i can't believe how expensive they are um and i hear that um but I can definitely tell you that it is 100% worth it. Um, so we will be talking about that next week. So if meanwhile you have questions about freeze drying, you want us to address specifically, you know, shoot us an email, chapelvilleforge at gmail.com or homesteadingroots at gmail.com. Um, and we will, you know, try to address those questions in the next podcast. Yep. All right. So we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.